What is going on? Hey, happy Monday. Welcome to the program. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. The phone numbers, as always, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. And the email is Pete at the Um So, yeah, I watched the... Once again, I'm the sucker. I watched the Panther game expecting something different to occur. I mean, the worst part was that it's just not a lot happened until, like, the very end, and then it all went... Like for the other team. High hopes, disappointing, last minute fumbles. It's got us all thinking this whole thing might be a complete failure. You're kind of like Joe Biden's student debt thing. Yeah, it's like exactly the same. His plan to forgive hundreds of billions of dollars in student loan debt, it violates both federal law and the Constitution, according to a lawsuit that got filed by the Pacific Legal Foundation, a libertarian law firm. By the way, the cost of the debt cancellation idea, this, uh, you know, this uh, college grad uh, bribe, I mean, that's what this is. This is what we call these things when uh, Democratic lawmakers were trying to get votes corralled for the Affordable Care Act, which, oh, by the way, is connected to all of this monstrosity of the student loan uh, cartel, because why? They took it over. The feds took it over in 2010, right, through Obamacare. So $400 billion, that's the cost now of this thing. $400 billion wiped away any potential savings, and I use that term very loosely, of the Inflation Reduction Act, or as now I'm seeing it referred to as the Inflationary Reduction Act. <laughs> so $400 billion, the latest cost estimate from the Congressional Budget Scorers, the Pacific Legal Foundation, they are the ones, by the way, that filed the lawsuit here in North Carolina against uh, Governor Ray Cooper. Most friends call him Ray. And um, challenge, they were challenging here uh, in North Carolina his, uh, his shutting down of various businesses while le- uh, allowing others to stay open, specifically the bars, right? He would shut down bars but let breweries stay open and uh so there's a there was litigation and what did cooper do right immediately after the lawsuit was filed what did he do he turned around and lifted some of the uh the restrictions which then of course they go into court and argue oh this is all moot now you don't need to hear this case well it seems like this might be a standard play out of the democrats playbook Because Roy Cooper did it here in North Carolina, and now Joe Biden is doing it. And I'm sure it's I'm sure it's got nothing to do with any kind of advice that they're getting from Mark Elias, who was also Roy Cooper's attorney. Right. Anyway, Mark Elias and and Hillary Clinton's attorney and the Steele dossier cutout and all that, all of that. Okay, so Joe Biden's team is now shifting on the bailout on the bribe, I should say on the the college grad bribe. So first off, just some of the uh, quick details about the lawsuit. An attorney for the Pacific Legal Foundation named Caleb Kruckenberg, he told Reason Magazine, Reason.com, that, quote, this is not how laws are supposed to be made. He's exactly right, by the way. Only Congress has the power to pass laws and spend money under the Constitution. The administration's actions here are flagrantly illegal. 
This is the first serious challenge to Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, which he announced last month. The lawsuit's plaintiff is a guy by the name of Frank Garrison. Frank Garrison is also an attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation. Garrison borrowed federal student loans to pay for law school. But according to him, Biden's debt forgiveness plan will now subject him to a financial penalty in the form of a state tax. This gives him standing to sue the U.S. Department of Education. Now, there is a, there's obviously a problem here because you got to be careful with John Roberts, right? Right, because John Roberts has a very fluid definition of what a tax is and isn't, right? If there's anything the, that the Obamacare uh, legislation and, and litigation taught us was that John Roberts, um, yeah, it's uh, definitionally fluid on, on what a tax is or is. It's a trans tax, if you will. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's trans taxation. It's a tax, but it doesn't always identify as a tax, according to John Roberts. And he really was, he was ahead of his time here, right? Just redefining things based on what was needed at any given moment. So the Pacific Legal Foundation's theory here is that Garrison has standing to sue the Department of Ed. Right? The lawsuit's case against the Biden forgiveness plan is pretty straightforward, that they're arguing Biden has violated both the Constitution and the Administrative Procedure Act, which gives Congress, not the president, the power to make new regulations. By the way, this also came up, you may recall, in the big fight over uh, the Title IX funding. Remember when uh, Betsy DeVos was the uh, Department of Education secretary and uh, she started implementing all of these changes to the way schools were essentially acting as, you know, the investigators and the executioners uh, and, well, I guess I should say also the judges, the, the, the investigators, the judges, uh, and the executioners uh, against students accused of Title IX violations or sexual assault or harassment or stuff like that. And, like, for the life of me, I don't understand why schools are even in that arena. Why are they even in this area? Well, I, okay, I do know, I know why, like cynically, I know why. But I've never heard a good cover story, let's say, for why they do this. Because the cynical reason is that they do it to suppress the crime stats, the campus crime stats, right? They do it to suppress people knowing what all's going on on campus, so they keep it all in-house, right? Rather than have it just funneled into, like, the, the police department in whatever town they are in. But that's where those things should, I mean, if you, have a, if you have a rape accusation, police should be the ones to investigate, not the college, right? So the, uh, the colleges and universities, they set up these sort of kangaroo courts, and uh, they were, you know, you know, believing all victims and ruining people's lives because of the way that they held these, uh, these investigations and these trials. So they said, you can't do that anymore. Uh, and they, they upended all of this. And so what they used was this Administrative Procedure Act, which there are a lot of rules that say, like, this is what you got to do. You got to uh, post it for the public to see. You got to have the open comment period and stakeholders. Like, it's a government process. So it's, of course, you know, several thousand steps that you got to go through, right? Boxes to check, T's to cross, I's to dot, and that sort of thing. So this is one of the avenues by which the Pacific Legal Foundation, oh, and 
attorneys general from states are using. So once the lawsuits hit the courts, this weekend, in federal court, Pacific Legal Foundation had a setback. Why? Because Biden and his administration just changed the rules for the forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Just like Roy Cooper did when he got sued by uh, Pacific Legal Foundation. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Ed Morrissey over at hotair.com writing uh, over the weekend how a federal court delivered a setback for Pacific Legal Foundation and one of its uh, uh, lawyers on staff who uh, was suing over the student loan cancellation bribery plot that uh, Joe Biden and and his administration hatched in order to get young people uh, with college debt to vote for him and uh, and to turn out in the midterms. But uh, the Pacific Legal Foundation got dealt a setback. Why? The circumstances that prompted this may have delivered even more fodder for another piece of uh, litigation that six states have brought against the Biden administration over this same bribery plot. So uh, let's start with the first domino to fall. He says the Biden administration suddenly reverses course on providing comprehensive and compulsory student loan debt forgiveness. Immediately after they saw the complaint from the Pacific Legal Foundation. So they get the complaint, they look at the lawsuit, and they immediately change the guidelines. They change the parameters of the student loan cancellation program. They change the rules. Why? To undercut the Pacific Legal Foundation's argument for standing, which means, like, do you have standing to sue? Do you have a right to sue? You have standing in court. Like if you're just some, you know, unrelated, irrelevant third party, you can't just go and sue somebody because you don't have standing, right? So Frank Garrison is the lawyer at Pacific Legal Foundation. And so by changing the rules of the forgiveness program, they're hoping to kneecap the litigation by taking away Frank Garrison's standing. Here's what NPR reported, quote, in a remarkable, I'm sorry, I should just, in a remarkable reversal that will affect the fortunes of, actually, no, that's old school NPR. Nowadays, it's the vocal fry effect that they all do. In a remarkable reversal. I I can't even do it. I don't even know how you do that vocal fry. So trained am I in broadcasting. (laughs) I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't. It's actually damaging to your vocal cords, by the way. Just a heads up to all of my uh, radio colleagues over there at uh, NPR Affiliates. Uh, it's it's damaging to your vocal cords, so you should just speak. This is the advice. Okay, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a quick I'm gonna take a quick jump off the path here, real fast. My first job, uh, I started as an intern in radio in Charlotte, was at. WFAE in the public radio. So I know I worked there. It's true. I worked. At, I worked at the NPR affiliate. 
I mean, I was mailing people coffee mugs. I was uh, I was first an intern in the uh, 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 membership department, which was two people, uh, and of which I was one. And I would mail the coffee mugs out and the tote bags and stuff. I would book all the volunteers to answer the phones on the uh, on the pledge drives and such. And um, and but I wanted to be on the uh, on the on air side. But uh, and a job came open in the newsroom, th- uh, and so I was putting together a resume tape, which is what you got to do in radio. You got to put together a tape. And so I didn't really have any material, so I just started using. Uh, I got some instruction from the news director at the time. Her name was Suzanne Stevens, not the one from WSOC TV. That's Suzanne Stevens. This was Suzanne Stevens, who eventually left. She went to get a job, I think, at uh, in PR someplace. Anyway, I start doing. This is what I do. I get the script, right? And I'm trying to show my versatility. So I, I get a new script off of the AP wire and I start reading this thing on the um, on my resume tape. And so this is how I read it. In a remarkable reversal that will affect the fortunes of many student loan borrowers. And she stops the tape just like within within seconds. And she says, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm I'm trying to read it. Like a news person. Sounds like a news person, right? And she said, just read it in your regular voice. Because if people don't trust you by the way you sound, they're not going to trust what you're saying. And truth be told, I didn't really like the way my voice sounded as it is. Like it's a little nasally. It has a little bit of the Long Island accent that I can never quite eradicate completely. Somebody told me the other day that I sounded like Richard Dreyfus. I don't remember who said they said I sounded like a little bit like Richard Dreyfus. I, I, I've been told I, that's the first Richard Dreyfus. Paul Simon. See, it's it's a little bit of that New York accent somehow that is still in there, and I tried very hard to get it out, but I can't. Uh, anyway, so it, it's just something that always stuck with me. It was great advice, and I quit trying to you know, disguise my voice to make it sound deeper or whatever. To You know, people do processing and all that stuff. I don't do any of that. This is what I sound like. Apparently, a Richard Dreyfus vocal doppelganger. Or Paul Simon. Anyway, NPR reports, in a remarkable reversal that will affect the fortunes of many student loan borrowers, the U.S. Department of Education has quietly changed its guidance around who qualifies. At the center of the change are borrowers who took out federal student loans many years ago. Both the Perkins loan and the FFEL loans, the federal family education loans. They were issued and they were managed by private banks, but they were guaranteed by the federal government. They were once the mainstay of the federal student loan program until all of that stuff ended in 2010. Thank you, Obamacare. These were, by the way, uh, I think this was under the, the sort of the loan program that I had. Today, 4 million people roughly still have these types of loans. And there's a downside under Biden's loan bribery plot. Hey, you know what? It's October. Happy October. That means also it's Talktoberfest. But you knew that, right? 
Every Thursday this month, just like last year and I believe the year before and maybe even the year before that, WBT's Talktoberfest, every Thursday uh, we're doing these live streams. So this Thursday, 8 o'clock on the uh, WBT Facebook page, we're doing a FaceTube live. And uh, it's uh, Thursday, 8 o'clock, Bo and Beth are going to do it. And then next Thursday, October 13th, I will join Vince Coakley at 8 o'clock. And uh, the following week, we got Mark and Brett, Mark Garrison, Brett Jensen. And then uh, Thursday, October 27th, uh, Brett Wintable along with Bo and Beth. And uh, again, Thursday, 8 o'clock, every Thursday this month. Talktoberfest, presented by Kristen Bernard and Power Home Team, Keller Williams, South Park. Visit WBT.com for all of the details. Alrighty, so the NPR write-up on this uh, shift in approach, this change of the student debt forgiveness program from the Biden administration, which was clearly, clearly aimed at buying votes, right? Clearly so. So, Here's how NPR uh, reports it. In a remarkable reversal that will affect the fortunes of many student loan borrowers, the Department of Ed has quietly changed its guidance around who qualifies, right? And I mentioned uh, the old way that they used to do it. They were federal uh, government-backed. They were guaranteed loans, but they were issued. The loans were issued and managed by private banks. That all went away when Obama you know, took over a sixth of the economy through Obamacare. And uh, they upended all of that because that's really what healthcare was about, right? Obviously. Um, Today, according to federal data, 4 million borrowers still have commercially held loans. Until Thursday, the department's own website advised these borrowers that they could consolidate their loans into federal direct loans and thereby qualify for relief under Biden's debt cancellation program. On Thursday, though, the department quietly changed that language. The guidance now says, as of September 29th, 2022, borrowers with federal student loans not held by the education department cannot obtain one-time debt relief by consolidating those loans into direct loans. So they changed the rules on the fly right after they got sued. Multiple legal experts tell NPR the reversal in policy was likely made out of concern that the private banks that manage those old loans could potentially file lawsuits to stop the debt relief, arguing that Biden's plan would cause them financial harm. Which is precisely the argument that the six states are using. Ed Morrissey at HotAir.com, he says this change eliminates 800,000 borrowers. That's like 20% of the initial projected target relief population, so this is not some minor change. Also, the Biden administration stuck in an opt-out clause. Because before, you could not opt out. If you did not want to take the student relief, this debt cancellation, you had no option. You were just automatically enrolled in it. Now you can apparently opt out. There are no other reasons to adopt these last-minute changes except to try to defeat the lawsuits. And it may have worked, actually, uh, 
with the uh, Pacific Legal Foundation lawsuit, at least temporarily, because his standing, this is what a judge uh, essentially uh, pumped the brakes on the other day, uh, that the lawyer now lacks standing because now you have an opt-out. So that judge may argue that the plan is still evolving, but it's also supposed to be implemented, like, maybe today, I guess? Like, soon, okay? But here's the problem, among many. The evolving issue of it, right? The fact that this is evolving, that's going to be a bigger problem for Biden and the administration in the lawsuit brought by the six states. Because their argument is that the federal government violated its own laws, specifically the Administrative Procedure Act, the APA. The APA is supposed to prevent precisely these kinds of whimsical and arbitrary rule changes, especially at the last minute. That's why there is a process. So uh, dare I say we, we don't have our democracy die in darkness, right? This is how you protect the democracy. You don't let someone just by executive fiat change whatever they want to change. And then if they get sued, oh, let me just change the rule again. Oh, and then they get into more trouble with that. So let me just change the rule again. And so you're constantly changing these rules when you have entities like state governments and banks and individual taxpayers who have loans out and such. You have all of these people now that are just getting jerked around. All these different institutions and organizations, they got real money at stake. And they're getting jerked around by an administrative bureaucracy that's trying to make this thing work without following the law. Because if they follow the law, they can't make it work, obviously. So Ed Morrissey says the very fact that Biden and his team are clearly making this policy up as they go along without bothering to go through the the rules that force them, you know, to... Uh, to follow procedures on how to change rules and that rulemaking process, right? The fact that they are, I mean, that they're making it up as they go along without going through the procedures, that's going to make the judge in the, in the state lawsuit think twice about dismissing that complaint over lack of standing because it's obvious that the states are getting jerked around. Pacific Legal Foundation may have an opportunity also to appeal for an emergency injunction as well. Um, with the hope that the high court, or a higher court, I should say, puts a halt to the hijinks and forces the administration to follow the law. And get this. The changes from the administration were so whimsical and arbitrary that, according to Politico, they even blindsided progressives who were demanding total debt forgiveness. People like Elizabeth Warren, Representative Madeline Dean, Representatives Ayanna Presley, Ilan Omar, Mondaire Jones. Chuck Schumer had a press conference touting the rollout of the forgiveness program as the news was breaking. The Progressive Caucus chair, Pramila Jayapal, released a statement uh, that only subtly addressed the change. Like, they weren't even told about this. This is not the way... The democracy is supposed to operate. Contrary to what the, uh, uh, the, the recent grad from college over at the McClatchy newspapers on the editorial board seems to think that it's totally fair. All of this is fair because it's going to help her. 
Meanwhile, there's a federal judge from the Fifth Circuit uh, that includes North Carolina, the uh, Court of Appeals. He says he's not going to hire any more uh, any more clerks from Yale. He's boycotting Yale. This is pretty. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. You're going to want to hear this. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. <clears throat> By the way, the Southern Coalition for Social Justice just sent out a tweet noting that in less than 15 minutes, so at 1 o'clock here on Monday, the Southern Coalition for Social Justice will advocate in North Carolina's highest court against a racist photo ID law. There, And then they give a link to the YouTube um, yeah, so the state Supreme Court, obviously, well, I'll get to it tomorrow, but the state Supreme Court is going to be hearing a couple of uh, cases that they accelerated uh, in order to get the Democrat majority to decide this stuff before uh, they all get voted out of their seats. Um, I mean, so they could, right, they could rush through the the ruling for democracy, of course, it's for democracy. Um, by the way, Southern Coalition for Social Justice, founded by Anita Earls. Anita Earls, now one of the state Supreme Court justices, hearing the case, deciding the case. That the place that she worked at, founded and worked at, like that's, they're arguing in front of her, and she's not recusing herself. Because, of course, there's no conflict of interest there. Why would there be? See, see, it's different when Democrats do it, right? For all of the, like, I'm sure you're aware, all the left's uh, exhortations about Ginny Thomas because she's married to Justice Clarence Thomas. Here you have a lawyer who was an activist, right? Activist lawyer, now on the bench, actually deciding cases being argued by her former organization, and no problem. There's no problem. They didn't have any problem with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? Activist lawyer. See, because it's different when they do it. Okay, so let me get to this piece here, and this has a lot of implications. It could. We shall see. Um, Judge James C. Ho of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit announced on Thursday he would no longer be hiring law clerks from Yale Law School, and he urged other judges to follow suit. In a keynote address to the Kentucky Chapters Conference of the Federalist Society, titled Agreeing to Disagree, Restoring America by Resisting Cancel Culture, Ho cited a number of high-profile examples of speakers being shouted down or otherwise censored at law schools across the country. But he singled out Yale Law School as one particular law school where cancellations and disruptions seem to occur with special frequency. Quote, Yale not only tolerates the cancellation of views, it actively practices it, he said. According to prepared remarks exclusively obtained by National Review, he said, quote, starting today, I will no longer hire clerks from Yale Law School, and I hope that other judges will join me as well. In February, he was at another event, a Federalist Society uh, organized event. It was at Georgetown Law on campus. And at that speech, he he was supposed to talk about something else. He ripped it up and he talked about cancel culture. Uh, he talked about Ilya Shapiro, the uh, the libertarian lawyer guy, legal scholar guy that got run out of his gig 
and I think it was at Georgetown. Um, Cancel culture is not just antithetical to our constitutional culture and our American culture, he said, but to the very legal system that each of you seeks to join. In Kentucky, he said, all too often, law schools appear to be run by the mob, whether out of sympathy or spinelessness. Colleges are not teaching students how to agree to disagree. They're teaching students how to destroy, and then they're launching them into the world. The bigger problem, he said, is the whole country has now become a college campus. That is so true. We used to laugh and, and mock the, the, the cry closet safe space millennials, right? Oh, my gosh. They're, they're, they're so fragile. Wait till they get to the real world and they're going to have to adapt and they're going to have to you know, overcome it. No, no. Ha. Huh? Joke was on us, apparently. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the neurotic and anxiety laden fragile. They're the ones that are now calling all the shots and making everybody jump through all the hoops that they just make up. That's where that's where we are. Cancel culture now plagues a wide variety of institutions, he said. I've written judicial opinions noting how cancel culture has infected our educational institutions, the legal profession, corporate America, and public health, and how even the criminal justice system has been weaponized to cancel disfavored political viewpoints. Cancel culture is also deeply embedded in journalism, entertainment, sports, and the arts. The consequences for America are significant, he said. I'd contend that cancel culture is one of the leading reasons why citizens no longer trust a wide variety of once leading institutions. It turns out that when elite institutions make clear that people who think like you and me shouldn't even exist, we return the favor. Ho zeroed in on these specific instances of cancel culture at Yale Law School. I'm not going to go over all of them. Um, But he said, it turns out that when elite law schools like Yale teach their students that there are no consequences to their intolerance and illiberalism, the message sticks with them. So the way to fight back, number one, speak out against cancel culture as citizens. We can stand up for free speech, for open and rigorous debate, and for tolerance of opposing viewpoints. But that is not enough. He said, we're not just citizens. We're also customers. Customers can boycott entities that practice cancel culture. I wonder how a law school would feel if my fellow federal judges and I stopped being its customers. Instead of millions of customers, there are only 179 authorized federal circuit judgeships. There are 677 authorized federal district judgeships. So that's it. This, that's less than a thousand in America. This is a pretty exclusive club, right? Refusing to hire clerks from Yale, he says, would strike at the heart of the illiberal culture in the nation's premier legal institutions. He said Yale presents itself as the best, most elite institution of legal education. Yet it's the worst when it comes to legal cancellation. And because it's you know number one in the rankings and all of that, it sets the tone for other law schools and for the legal profession at large. I certainly reserve the right to add other schools to this list in the future, he said. But my sincere hope is that I won't have to. My sincere hope 
is that if nothing else, my colleagues and I will at least send the message that other schools should not follow in Yale's footsteps. If they want the closed and intolerant environment that Yale embraces today, that's their call. But I want nothing to do with it. So, do you like this idea? There are some people on the right that are not too crazy about it. There are some that are. What do you think? Stop hiring Yale Law School grads? We'll get into that in the next hour. News is next.